Hey guys, I'm Caitlin Adams, and welcome to the Kirk Students Podcast. We're the student ministry from the Kirk Church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you'll hear sermons from Josh Lyle, Colin Grant, and other guest speakers. You can look in the show notes for small group questions and talking points. Make sure you subscribe and share with anyone who follows Kirk Students. If you want to know more about us or get in touch, visit us at thekirk.com or follow us on Instagram at Kirk Students. Now, let's jump in. chapter 2. Let's go there. If you have your Bibles, if you don't, we're judging you. Open up your Bibles. We're people of the book. Come on. People of the book. Open up your Bibles. Your phones count. And if they don't, I guess you'll find out soon enough. Your, your phones count. I'm sure they do. Thank you. Shoes are fire. Thank you. Um, so, Emma Zamonic inspired me. So, yes. So, uh, Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 22, um, we had a, a sermon for tonight, and uh, it was kind of looking at the resurrection. Um, and so I, I wanted to kind of come with this idea of um, beginning with the end in mind. So if you're taking notes, that's the title, beginning with the end in mind. So if you're a leader, raise your hand. If you're one of our small group leaders, if you are uh, staff like Caitlin, or uh, raise your hand. Okay, if you guys would look around, I know it's dark. But if you could just see people with their hands raised, leaders, Thomas, you can raise your hand too. You've been leading. So, uh, all right, you guys can put them down. Thank you. So beginning with the end in mind, um, most of the leaders that I've talked to, I'm sure most of the leaders that Caitlin has talked to, a lot of your parents that we've talked to kind of have this one thing in common, right? Um, and and it, around youth group is this. It's almost always relates to us. We had strong youth group leaders. Therefore, we had a vision and wanted to become leaders in our youth group. We wanted to be a part of that, right? I don't know if any of them ever saw it happening in this specific capacity, yet for some of us, for some of them, here we are. Maybe not even knowing that you're beginning with the end in mind, but they saw someone, they heard someone, they felt someone that was invested in them, that cared for them in a way that was un, or kind of was foreign to them at the time, and they started to, this is the impact I want to have. This is kind of what I feel like I want to do. Now, almost all of your leaders, I think all of our leaders, this is a volunteer thing. This is a after work, come here and sit with you. After work, come here and talk with you. After work, come here and worship with you. After work, come here and read the Bible with you. And all of them, I know, are praying that you would have a similar vision to carry your faith into the next season. Beginning with the end in mind. I don't ever want to start anything that I haven't first thought I want to finish well. And looking at Easter, yes, it is about the cross. Yes, it is about the person of Jesus being betrayed and dying. But much more than that, Easter is resurrection season. Easter is all about walking in newness, walking in new life, really beholding and grabbing on to this promise that there is a God and he is for his people and he has come and done exactly what he said he would do. And we almost missed it. We didn't have the end in mind. We were so focused on the here and the now that we missed him being born where he was born and that we were missing him living a teenage life and going through awkward phases. And then we finally realized who he was when he's turning water into wine and when he's healing blind people. And by that time, it's almost too late for some of us to catch on to what he's doing. But what we come to now in Easter is resurrection season. And it's hard to know where you're going if you don't know where you've been. That sounds really deep, but it's actually just factual, right? So uh, my wife and I, we went to Kansas City like two years ago for our anniversary, and um, 
I had only been to Kansas City one other time, but I'd never driven to Kansas City uh, from Tulsa. So we drove, I used the GPS, and it's pretty much a straight, if you've ever been to Kansas, there's nothing there. You get lost in Kansas, it's your own fault. Um, but when you start getting into Kansas City, it, it gets pretty difficult, right? Like Kansas City is a huge major city, so we're getting in. But then when we're leaving, I'm like, oh, this is, this is not a new road to me. I've been here before. I remember this marker. And I know clearly where I'm going, and I can go in confidence because I know where I've been. I've done this before. And for some of you, I, I'm thinking, and, and I'm, I'm praying against it, but I'm thinking that, like, church has become this thing where, like, I've done this before. Like, this is what we do on a Wednesday. This is what we do on a Sunday. This is what we do. Every day we kind of just, you know, lift up prayers, and we, and which, which are good things. But intention matters. And if we don't begin with the end in mind, knowing that, yes, you know, Good Friday is coming, but Sunday is the real thing. Like, that, that's what shapes and affirms our faith. Well, then we're kind of going into it empty. We have to be looking at the resurrection. It doesn't surprise me, but it also does surprise me, being this far removed from the resurrection, that nobody expected it. Nobody expected it. But people, hundreds of years before this, were speaking about it. David had prophesied about it. Moses had prophesied about it. Daniel had prophesied about it. And when it happened, we missed it. No one expected this. They didn't have the end in mind. Now, if you start with the end in mind, that's a good way to do a goal, right? Like, if you don't have a, a kind of a, a target that you want to hit, you'll probably miss when you start throwing things. If you don't have the end in mind, you're probably not going to get where you want to go, be it losing weight, learning a new language, like, I want to be fluent in this or whatever. If you don't have that in your mind, you probably won't ever get there, or it'll take you four years to accomplish a goal that could have taken you one. So we need to begin with the end in mind tonight. Now, beginning with the end in mind and knowing where we're going and knowing where we've been require uh, two of the same things. You have to um, kind of know your goal and know your starting place. So be real with where you are, right? Like I am, uh, let's talk faith, right? Like I am uh, doubting. I, I do believe that Jesus lived. I do believe that he died. I even believe that he resurrected. But that has really no bearing on my life because I'm so far removed. If that's you, uh, that, that was me for a long time. Like, what does this specifically have to do with me? I've never met Jesus um, as a person. I've never seen anyone do what he's been able to do. I, I, I'm, so I'm, I'm kind of distant from it, right? So I, I, at least I know where I'm starting. Or your starting place could be like, I've grown up in the church, and I believe everything that the Bible says, and I'm, I'm for it because he's for me. But you got to know these things, right? Be honest with yourself. And then know where the Lord's calling you. Know where you want to be. I want to be in a deeper relationship with Jesus. I want to be more effective in my friend groups. I want to be um, not so passive. I, I, I want to be intentional about these things. So we have to know those two things. We have to know our starting point, and we have to know the goal. Now, Acts chapter 2 says this. Peter is preaching a sermon. Sporadically, spontaneously, he's preaching a sermon. He says this. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So what Peter is saying, and even he missed it a little bit, right, is like we should have known that Jesus was who he said he was. And we should have known that because he did what he said he would do. That he would come in humility, that he would come and kind of break into culture and flip things upside down. No one had done what Jesus had done before. 
He's sitting with people that Christians or that Jews don't sit with. He's putting his hands on people that they were afraid to touch. He's eating with people that we don't congregate with. We should have known that this was him. And we should have known with the end in mind what was to come. But Peter says, not only did you not know it, you saw it and then you killed him. You chose to end this thing, or so you thought. Now, starting with the resurrection means that you start with hope. However, in between the beginning and hope is a whole lot of hardship. We live in this weird place between, like, the sin and the saving. So, like, we, we are saved by grace to God, for God, by God, but we are still living amongst sin, maybe in sin, maybe a part of sin, right? It's, it's our default. It's our nature. So we might have the end in mind. We know resurrection's coming, but man, I can't break this. I can't stop feeling this way. I can't get out of this relationship. I, right? We, we live in between the sin and the saving. And when Peter is saying, like, you've seen and you've heard and you were all about what Jesus did, he's talking to me too because I've, I've, I've heard, I've seen. People have attested. Um, you guys, you guys don't remember the, uh, the Watergate scandal, right? Is that what it's called, the Watergate thing? So it, it took, uh, do, you, do you guys want to know how long it took for the, for the people who were a part of that to give up their, uh, their, like they just snitched on the whole thing? Huge deal, millions, billions of dollars at stake, tons of people, right? Uh, 12 days. It took them 12 days to, to say we were lying. Do you know uh, how many days it's taken uh, those who have been persecuted by the world for Jesus Christ to say that they made it all up? They still haven't. This has been, people have died for this. Like the church, the foundation of the church, again, keeping the end in mind, is, is built on blood. And it's built on strong faith. And it's built on families. And it's built on people who would not waver because they have the end in mind. Hebrews says that Abraham or Abram at the time received the promise knowing there was a greater city, not built by human hands. There's an end in mind. And Peter is saying, all these things that you saw that God did through him, yes, this Jesus he was delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God, meaning that this was always a part of it and we missed it. We didn't know that this was how it was going to go, but we should have. Um, those before, like those before the New Testament started with the promise, but they didn't really know where to go with it. Verse 25, and we'll, verse, we'll hang out in verse 24 for a minute, but verse 25 says this, For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Now, what would have happened in David's time is this would have been sung, this would have been prayed, but it might not have been believed. David believed it. David knew it. But the congregation of Israel might have been like, yeah, sure, you're, you're talking about the God that we've heard of. You mean Jehovah Jireh? Jehovah Nisi, like that guy? Ne never seen him. We didn't hear him speak on the mountain. We didn't hear him come through fire. But sure, it's good enough for you. But David is saying, I saw the Lord always before me. He was always ahead of me. David only knew that he would have someone sitting on his throne, but when Jesus comes, he's only a part of the lineage. He's not sitting on a throne. That would be a little bit foreign. We get it. We can kind of see how we would miss that. But David is prophesying, I saw the Lord always before me, sitting at the right hand, that I may not be shaken, that I can have confidence and assurance in this, that Jesus is who he says he is, and that he'll do what he said he would do. We start with the resurrection. But those before started with the promise of resurrection, but they didn't know it. They didn't know that, that the promise was the resurrection. They just thought the promise was someone who was going to come and break down the Roman system and rule in righteousness and justice and peace. They didn't think that the change was going to be internal rather than external. 
They thought revival's going to break out again. They thought thousands of people are going to come to the church. They thought life would get easier because that's an external change. I always thought that, um, especially in, in, in today's culture of church, we, have, we always say, look at how many people we have coming to church. But no one is ever saying, look at how many people we have being the church. Because change is internal, not always external. Internal change will provoke external change, but they have this promise of resurrection. They just don't have the word resurrection to put with it. So they start with this, but they don't really know what to do with it. And we, even though we, under, we know the resurrection, we still live in the space in between sin and saving. And then after saving, you still live in the space between saving and sin. Saved by grace, through God, for God, by God, but living life here on earth. We know how the story ends, but we still struggle with sin and death here. I don't know um, if you know this. Reagan told me a few weeks ago she was reading a book about somebody who had died and gone to heaven and came back and, and, and wrote a book. There's several books about these, right? Some of you guys know, um, 90 Minutes in Heaven or whatever. I've never met a person who's died and come back. I'm not saying that's not the thing. I, I, I'm sure Missy has stories or who, whoever, right? Um, however, what we're talking about is like people have been dead for an hour or two. This dude's been dead for three days. Jesus has been dead for three days, crucified brutally, pierced and bled out, and he's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing because he has the end in mind. He even says in the garden before this, if there's any other way to go about it, Lord, let it be. Says it three times, but not my will, your will. He has the end in mind. This guy's been dead for three days. I don't know any... Uh, recorded thing outside of the old testament that has someone been dead for that long and lazarus coming back to life but lazarus only comes back to life because jesus says come back to life and now this powerful motif starts to be painted that now jesus is resurrected and he's uh, kind of showing himself and he's not only showing himself in power but he's showing himself in presence now and that's a big difference he was changing water to wine and healing people and being a force to reckon with in debates and arguments and things like that. But now they killed him and he came back. We couldn't, we, we couldn't out-logic him. We certainly couldn't out-morality him. And now we can't even out-die him. He has the end in mind. Now here's our truth. Peter reminds us of our sin, but he also reminds us what, what was secured on that cross. Verse 24 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says this, God raised him up, him being Jesus, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Now, there are several things, uh, I think we've talked about this a few times, within the realm of possibility that we could just uh, knock out, right? Things that might be improbable but possible. Be real, we could be on Mars by 2040. I, I, I mean, Elon Musk goes to space every other day. It could happen. We've been to the moon. We're making ungodly medicinal advances. I mean, just insane things. Getting cures in less than a year, vaccines for different things. We're curing common diseases, like uh, insane things. It could be totally plausible, possible, that by 2050, cancer's eradicated. Might not, but it's possible. And so, like, we're living in the possibility of, like, we know of our sin we know the wages of sin is death, but now this guy, Jesus, who lived a sinless life, has now said that just because you have to die here on earth does not mean that death has won. He has the end in mind. Just because you end this thing does not mean that that's where everything ends. It's God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. There is one thing on this earth that was not possible at the time, and it was that Jesus Christ could not stay dead. 
This is the Easter message. This is the Easter season. That he didn't just die, that he went into the tomb. And that he didn't just stay in the tomb, that he came out. And that he didn't just come out, that he showed himself, not only in power, but in presence to his people. So that they could carry on the faith. As David says, I see the Lord always before me. Now, David's words in Psalm 16, that's where the psalm is, in Psalm 16, uh, they give us a glimpse into what resurrection life might mean for us now. They, they give us a little bit of what it could be for us to genuinely walk in resurrection. Now, resurrection for me is a general demeanor of hope. I'm going to walk in hope. I'm going to believe the best in people. I'm going to believe the best of people. I'm going to believe the best in the, in the organization. I'm going to believe the best for the church, even though, and she's been built on blood and faith. She has been tarnished by unfaithful men and unfaithful women. With all the negatives in the church, I'm choosing to see the positives, and I'm believing that Christ is still for his church and raising up his church and raising up people and calling people like Cooper into ministry and sending them out and equipping them, and he's still holding marriages together that should have ended a long time ago. But... What does that mean for me? What does it mean for you in high school or middle school or whatever? Well, David says this in verse 26. Therefore, when I saw that the Lord was always before me, my heart was glad. And my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. Three things that change the atmosphere. You being happy. You praising. And you hoping. That's the Easter season. We know that death is coming, but we know that death doesn't have the final word. We know that death is a part of life, but it's not the end of life. It's a weird thing to think about, right? Like this thing that's so final and so finite, Jesus says, no, you're welcoming into new life now. I'm, bringing, I, I'm clearing this way for you. Now, two more points, and then we'll go to group. God does not leave us to fend for ourselves in life or death. Um, all the way down to verse 31, this wasn't part of our reading, but uh, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So we also have this, this impossible standard of like to be like Jesus. Jesus lived a sinless life, and I can't do that, and you can't do that. But we have hope for a day when there is a new heaven and a new earth, and we're able to walk in righteousness. We're able to walk as Jesus walked and talk as Jesus talked. It said that he was not abandoned to Hades. God didn't leave him there. That's a whole separate sermon of who he talked to and how he did that. Resurrection, li resurrection life invites us into his presence, and in his presence is the fullness of life. In his presence is all things needed to be sustained. So here's um, our landing. In verse 27 and 28, it says this, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will make full uh, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. They should have known, because they had, they had the scriptures, they had the scrolls, they had everything that they needed in the Old Testament to know that this, if, if it wasn't the guy, he's pretty stinking close. Even John the Baptist says, Lord, are you the one or should we look for another? Like, I get that. But they should have known, and when they didn't, and then he, he resurrected, then we, we should have known. Should have known that like this was the one, yet we're walking in this space of like, now I'm being told. Peter's telling us our sin, he's telling us our saving narrative, and now he's telling us what to do with it. You have made known to me the path of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. The resurrection of Christ affirms for God's people 
that he is who he says he is and that he is able to do what he said he would do. So I have a very simple question for you tonight. I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to go to groups. Um, do you believe? And if you don't, if you struggle or you're having a hard time, like even adults do, even we do, we work. It's hard. Do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he did what he said he would do and that he is doing what he said he would do? And I, I want you to, to examine, like, is this, do, do I believe this? Do I hold on to this? Because if you don't, Two things. A, that's okay. You can get there. And, and, and B, if you don't, I don't know how effective you're being for the gospel. Um, so we had a guy come to our house a few years ago in, in Tennessee, and he's selling this vacuum. And he goes, rainbow vacuum. Does anybody have a rainbow vacuum? Th- those things could literally suck dirt out of the cleanest place that's ever existed. Just they, I mean, you could, you could put a car in that thing. It would suck it right up. So the Rainbow Vac is this super special NASA something or other vacuum. And they're like $7,000. So you can either get a used car or you can get a vacuum. And this guy says, hey, I want to sell you this vacuum, but first I want to show you how it works. And my first question was this, do you own one? Oh, yeah. Do you believe in the product enough to own one? Come on in and show me how it works. Him believing in this thing gave him space to speak to me about this thing. Him trusting in this thing that he's selling gave him space to be assured that what he was selling was a good thing. That what he was sharing was going to help people. And he knew it because he was experiencing it in his own life. So if we don't hold tightly to this, if we don't really believe, well, I don't think we're being very effective. And Easter season is effective. Resurrection season is effective. Because it affirms that Jesus is who he says he is and that he did what he said he would do and he's still doing what he said he would do. Let me pray for you and then we'll go to groups. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the resurrection of Jesus. We thank you for sending your son, for caring for us, not only enough to know our needs but to know our names. God, we thank you that you not only showed up after resurrection in power but in presence. God, we thank you that you have called us unto yourself. We thank you so much that you, have, um, that you are refining us. We thank you so much that you're calling people into ministry. Lord, I pray that our hope and our passion and our zeal would be um, arranged anew this season. That it would grow, Lord, that zeal for your name would consume us. God, we know that Good Friday is not where the story ends. And I pray that we begin this season with the end in mind. And everybody said, amen. Hey, I